we are so fixated on pitch counts and innings limits that we forgot to tell pitchers to stay off dirt bikes. Sorry, Madison Bumgarner. Four games into the season and Noah Syndergaard, the mighty Viking, has a tired arm? How does that happen? And King Felix, his arm is dead. How did it die? Was it murdered? Can it be brought back to life? Maybe with a seance? All these questions and more are answered by baseball pitching motion troubleshooter Angel Pirelli in Season 4, Episode 3 of The Fix. Here we are at the in the end of April in 2017, Season 4, Episode of the fix featuring baseball pitching motion troubleshooter angel borelli and this week angel we have a lot of injuries all of a sudden you know well we've had a lot of injuries but um this week in particular all of a sudden we have a lot of big names that are sidelined and and it's like they all went down at once it's kind of a kind of freaky how that happens well as you know david price is still sidelined he's trying to get his way back shelby miller is suffering forearm tightness and he's going for a third visit to Dr. James Andrews. He wants to find out what's going on because apparently he had an MRI and, and something is going on with his UCL. They're not saying if it's a tear or not. They're not saying whether or not he needs to be shelved or needs surgery. I'm not sure what's going on with him. Shelby Miller's had a lot of injury issues going back for the last couple of years. So, you know, hopefully he's going to be okay. But, um, you know, he's got to see Dr. James Andrews and see what's happening there. In other news, Madison Bumgarner on his off day decided to get on a dirt bike and ride around the Colorado Hills somewhere. And I mean, it's amazing, right? Yes. No, it is. Well, it's not funny for him. And I just want to tell you, he is going to hate himself. He's hating himself. So I don't care what pain he's in. He's hating himself right now to have an injury like this occur. Uh, yeah. So anyway, but go ahead. I'm dying to hear the details here. I was going to say, I think one of the shows we must have covered dirt bike riding. We must have said pitchers <laughs> shouldn't do that. It's bad for their arm. Well, you know, there are pitchers that have things written in. I mean, I worked with a professional pitcher that was a surfer and they had it written in his contract that he couldn't surf. So, I mean, you know, I and I having to work with my body because, you know, when I work with pitchers, I'm demonstrating the motion all the time. I just don't instruct. And I'm also a strength coach for my pitchers. And you know that I had to stop doing uh, riding on the street on my road bike. I won't go skiing. Because I treat my body as if I'm an athlete, which is if I go down, I'm in trouble. Right. So, yeah, it is a very interesting thing. But he hates himself enough uh, right now. We don't need to beat him up for that. But what what's going on? with What are they saying about the injury? Well, apparently he fell off the bike or crashed or something and, and hurt his shoulder. It's not clear. I've, I've seen conflicting reports. It says he either has a shoulder strain or a shoulder sprain. It's either a level one or a level two strain or sprain. I'm not sure which. Uh, has something to do with his AC joint. Is that air conditioning? I don't know what that is. What is an AC joint? What, what, give me an idea on what's going on with his shoulder if he's hurt, if he damaged his AC joint and if it's a sprain <laughs> or a strain or what is it? I just got that. It took me a minute. The AC. Okay, gotcha. I forget you're in the east where it gets really, really hot, so you still say AC. Right. Yeah. That's Chicago language, too. We, I don't uh, talk about it out here in California, though. But anyway... um. So, okay, so first of all, uh, let's, let's, so yes, I agree. I, I read reports, and the difference in a strain and sprain is big. And so let me explain this. So when you hear the word strain, ST, if, any, if a doctor ever says you strained, uh, you strained such and such, it means that you aggravated the tendon of a muscle. So ST, as in Thomas, refers to a tendon injury. When you use the word sprain, SP, as in Paul, that refers to a ligament injury. And when you have a ligament injury, they grade it. And a grade one is like you 
aggravated it, probably stretched it, which is actually not a good thing, but that's pretty much all the damage you did. A grade two actually begins with that there was some disruption. And normally, well, not always, but sometimes grade twos require surgery and sometimes they don't, depending on the extent of it. And beyond that, that's when, when you start to get grade three, grade four, you get tears versus disruption versus all kinds of messes. So we don't really know what's going on with him, but given that it's the AC joint, and given that they're giving him two months off, my guess is, is that it is not a strain ST tendon. While he may have a strain in some of the muscles that connect to it, because it's a very important joint, it's probably a sprain. And just so everybody knows, the clavicle, which is your collarbone, at the very end of it, and it's the end towards the shoulder, um, that is the uh, where the AC joint is located. Uh, the A being acromion, which is at the end of the clavicle. And then there's a little protrusion that comes up and over the shoulder from the shoulder blade. And those two bones, uh, and, and that those two bones make up the AC joint. But that whole complex is called the shoulder girdle. And the shoulder girdle is uh, the major driver of everything that happens with the arm. So the shoulder joint inserts sort of in the edge of the shoulder girdle. And there's a definite rhythm between the two. And you just don't want anything going on with the shoulder girdle. It's, it's, it's complex. The movements are complex. And the rhythm of that related to the arm, especially for a pitcher, is critical. And there's a lot of muscles that insert right in that area. So you don't want problems with that. And so what this means for him is that he's going to have to get some very good healing. He's going to have to rehab it correctly. And then he, you know, he doesn't have my favorite mechanics, but there may be issues that come up once he starts pitching again. And, um, and that's when they'll know or he'll know if he's got to make adjustments. Now, nobody's really talking about this part of it, but let me tell you the part that I'm concerned about. He, he bruised some ribs. And the ribs, I don't know if anybody's bruised a rib, but it only hurts when you breathe. It is not a cool injury. But in terms of the implications for a pitcher, if he, if he hit hard enough to, to bruise the ribs, it may be that he's also going to have some aggravation in the serratus muscle, which inserts into the top nine ribs. And given that he probably took a fall, I mean, the kind of injury he has comes from falling on the shoulder. That's why football players get it. People who do compression sports, there's a certain direction of the force. It compresses it, and then you either dislocate it or you have the problem that he has. If he hit that hard and it was up that high, he probably bruised the upper ribs. And the upper ribs, the serratus muscle wraps around from behind underneath the shoulder blade wraps around the front and it is what's called a protractor and when a pitcher is accelerating the shoulder that muscle is protracting and anybody out there that's listening that's done intense research on the pitching motion knows that I mean we don't talk about this because it would be boring and over the head of a lot of people but the serratus is a major accelerator and a major stabilizer of the shoulder girdle so uh, yes, he's got this AC problem, which sounds like it could be minimal, but I hope that they pay attention to the ribs and they start to recondition that serratus muscle because this would be a serious problem for a pitcher. So I'm concerned about that part of the uh, aggravation as well. And sometimes the injury takes on a different color a few days after the, uh, the accident happens. So in the next few weeks, they're going to know more about this. But I agree they're giving mis different reports saying strains, sprains. And then they said from a grade one to a grade two. Well, I don't know what that means because that means I mean, if it's if there's if there's damage to the ligament, there's damage. So I don't know if they're not seeing it, which is possible because of probably inflammation. I mean, I really don't know, but it is confusing. But in either case, it's not something you want to have happen to a pitcher. Hmm. So, in regard to the serratus muscle, what kind of things would you do to get that back to where it needs to be? Like it. I'm not. I'm not even really sure. I understand where exactly it is and how you would like 
fix yeah. it. Yeah. Well, if you've ever seen a picture, uh, let's say you're in a grocery store and you see a bodybuilding magazine and you look at some guy that or some guy uh, on a magazine that's flashing his six pack. And at the top of his six pack, right underneath where his pecs are, you'll see these finger like projections coming around the side. That is your serratus. Serratus okay. means finger finger projection in Latin fingers. So they look like fingers wrapping around the side the way it would be if you gra if you stood behind someone and put your hands on their ribs from behind. And so they're cuts, they're fingers. And that serratus comes from, if you're standing in front of the person, that serratus comes from the inside of their shoulder blade, wraps around and comes around. And its job is to pull the blade forward. And in fact, the blade pulls forward when you accelerate. In fact, I'm so, I, I was always enthralled with the serratus so I know a lot about it pitchers that throw hard maintain their retraction retraction meaning that muscle doesn't protract and accelerate right away they hold their retraction a little longer meaning they don't give up that retraction as soon as a pitcher who doesn't throw hard so the serratus works along with the chest and the lat to accelerate the ball and not only is it a major accelerator as I said it's critical to stabilization of the rib cage and the scapula because your scapula muscles and or your scapular bones your shoulder blade and your clavicle they're floating on your rib cage the only attachment they have is right in the front where you see the two bones of the clavicle come together under your chin, there's a ligament there, that's it. The rest is floating. And so when you have a rib cage that's off, and let's say a muscle on the rib cage is off, you're going to have trouble with the shoulder joint because remember the shoulder joint goes into the side of this. It would be like the way the wheel wells are on the side of your car. So if you've got trouble with the hood of your car, your two front wheels on the side going in, they might have a problem. So you want to keep the you know, the hood of your car um, over the, the engine, nice, and, you know, everything's perfect. It's not all smashed up. Well, that's the way it is. You want your rib cage and your shoulder girdle balanced. There, Then you have a balanced shoulder joint. That's why this is a shoulder girdle injury. That's why this is so serious. But with the serratus, it's a protractor. And my pictures do protraction and retraction exercises all the time. And it's difficult to explain um to you know without knowing who my audience is how to train it but uh, protraction occurs when you are doing chest work and um an actual exercise is designed to just protract and isolate it and isolating it, it's a great idea so for those strength coaches out there uh, you know and there's a lot of people who say oh a pitcher shouldn't train his chest no he absolutely should train his chest because if he's not training his chest he's not really getting good serratus work and serratus needs a lot of development and balancing on a pitcher so again and if i'm saying anything that intrigues anyone and they need more information they can contact me but uh so yes yeah, so i'm worried about the ribs and uh and just hope that he uh you know but he's going to be hating himself so much that uh, the hate is going to take over the pain <laughs> I, I pretty much yeah. know that he's suffering in his mind right now yeah, you know, if nothing else, you know, and I don't want to make light of the situation. I mean, it's it, it was a terrible thing for him to happen. But you know, when you're a a young guy and you're you can throw the ball ninety plus miles an hour, you feel invincible. You know, pitchers out there on your off day, mm -hmm. if you want to keep pitching, if you really want to make it your thing, maybe stay away from some of those more dangerous sports. Just because uh, look look at what can happen to even Madison Bumgarner. So I had so just to quickly mention so last year I had to deal with three injuries on pitchers that never get injured. One was he went wakeboarding after pitching where you're hanging oh, on and he hurt his elbow. Another one he was playing around with some baskets, shot jumped up and got his sleeve or something caught on the rim of the basket and so he uh he uh, ended up hurting, ended up having to have surgery. And I'm trying to think what the third one was. It probably was basketball. Oh, no, out playing around the wiffle ball and throwing that as hard as he could and not realizing that the lighter the ball, the faster.
after the elbow is going to work, and he blew out uh, something in his elbow. And I'll tell you, the look on these guys' faces when they come to me and say, Angel, and I go, how did you do this? And they don't even want to. They say, I don't even want to tell you. And when you think that they work so hard to keep themselves healthy and then something like this happens, it's rough. So, yes, you do have to do some thinking. But, you know, we're humans first. And that is the beauty of everything in life is that we're not right. perfect. So anyway, I wish I wish him the best. Yeah. yeah let's, well, just think about your choices before you go out and play football or get on a dirt bike or go, you know, uh, diving or whatever it is you're going to do um, or climb on roofs. Never mind. Um, <laughs> so another ace that went down and, and we just got this news maybe an hour ago, uh, the Mets. Noah Syndergaard. He's, oh, boy. Yeah, he just got scratched from his start today because of discomfort in his biceps. They're calling it tendinitis. Mm-hmm. They're saying that he has a tired arm. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about Noah Syndergaard mm-hmm. last year. For those of you who are new listeners and, and didn't hear us last season, you should go to season three, episode eight. The title is Elbow Bone Spurs and Thoracic Outlet Syndrome Explained. Uh, Noah Syndergaard was one of our one of our subjects because he had a he had a big bone spur in his elbow, and an angel. I think you you talked about everyone was worried about uh, Syndergaard's elbow at the time. Everyone was worried. Oh no, is he going to need Tommy John surgery? But I think if if I remember correctly, you explained that a bone spur really doesn't have much to do with the UCL. It actually means there's probably there could be an issue with the shoulder. Um, so now I'm wondering that he's talking about a problem in his biceps. Mm-hmm. Is all of this related? Well, yeah. Actually, I, the bone spur means the bones are hitting with unusual. They're hitting it in a place where they're not supposed to hit. And so the bone thinks it's supposed to grow. And that's how you get bone. A bone spur is a bone growing from getting some sort of stimulation. That's how our bones grow, through compression. So, um, you know, and so it was getting a message to grow. So I said that the next problem was going to end up being in his shoulder. And when you have a bicep tendon issue, the bicep, remember, acts at the level of the elbow. So we already know he's got something. He had something going on in his elbow joint, the bones coming together, where they were getting unusual compression. So we know that something at that end makes sense. But the bicep inserts into the labrum one of the heads and so whenever you have a biceps problem you're going to involve the shoulder and the biceps and the supraspinatus which is a muscle that is a rotator cuff muscle work intimately together and his symptoms were he couldn't raise his arm over his head well that's supraspinatus and it's bicep tendon and so yes so here's the deal and i have said this to everyone what i hope you're getting from this show are ways to notice things before they go bad and if somebody has the body yelling out his elbow is yelling out the bones are hitting wrong the bones are hitting wrong and no one looks at either his mechanics or what could have caused that you cannot just assume that it's going to go away unless he makes a major change. And I know he had a really late arm, if I remember correctly. I'm not saying this is the cause, but I do know that when you have something that serious, you have to pretty much go to perfect mechanics. And so let's in a late arm affects the shoulder tremendously. So, and I haven't seen him pitch, Joe, but I'm just saying to everyone, when you have a symptom of something, don't just pray for it to go away. Have it go away, but as soon as you're able to throw, figure out what you're doing and then make that adjustment. It's only going to make you better. The good news is when you fix a flaw, it makes you a better pitcher. It's the way you fix it that's going to determine whether it ruins you as a pitcher or not. And that's why I always say go to a professional who knows how to make these adjustments. But him having this problem is a connection to that. And it's also a possible connection to his mechanics. So, but you don't want to have bicep tendon problems because it's one of the biggest pains that, uh, and I say that uh, and metaphorically and uh, literally, it's a big pain to have uh, anything with the bicep tendon or the supraspinatus. So, um, Yes, and I hope that he, uh, you know, heeds this second uh, warning. He was on thin ice by, um, 
let's put it this way, he was pitching through a bone spur. I don't know where that was, but some he may have made an adjustment to avoid the pain at the elbow. But this is one in the same. I mean, if he were, if I were sitting interviewing him or a pitcher to get background information, I would absolutely connect all those dots. Well, you know, it sounds like um, either either the team doesn't know what's going on or isn't connecting the dots or just isn't giving all the information because yeah. they, when they when they describe it as tired arm, I mean, it's 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 April. He's only pitched you know five or six times at the most. I don't think a pitcher should be tired this early in the season, should he? Well, I don't think they're meaning tired arm. I think they're uh, meaning another way of saying a dead arm. And which the minute the word dead is used, that is the supraspinatus. And as I said, the supraspinatus is involved with the bicep tendon. And they come together in a certain place. And if that's where he's having problems, sometimes it's hard to figure out which muscle is actually the one that is the problem. Um, and basically, it's usually both. But I think they're just misusing the word. I don't think they mean fatigue. I think they mean dead. And uh, which tells me that the supraspinatus is involved. Well, you know what? It's funny you mention a dead arm because ace number four that's gone down in the last 48 hours is uh, King Felix Hernandez of the Seattle Mariners. He is he has been diagnosed with a, a dead arm, shoulder inflammation, and now he's he's going to be down for we don't know how long. So. I think this gives us a, a nice segue into what the teaching moment's going to be today, isn't it? Yes, I love talking about dead arm. And what I want to do today is talk about it, remind everybody what it means when a pitcher comes to you, coaches, and he use the, uses the word dead. They only use it when it feels dead. And when they say that, there's always only one thing it really means. So what I'd like to do is remind you all of what it means and give you some tips on how to avoid this problem with which hits tons of pitchers. There's ways to predict with which pitchers are going to have it. There are possibly some simple things the people, the pitchers are doing before they pitch that could be bringing on the fatigue in that area. And there's some tips I want to give you to help avoid this and also the way to get on top of it the minute it happens. So yes, I would love to teach about this. So dead arm means that the arm to the pitcher feels dead. He not, may not necessarily have pain, and this is very important distinction, and in fact, um, Hernandez said that, it's, it, it didn't hurt. Dead means you go to lift it, and it feels like it can't initiate the movement. Now, the muscle that is involved when you have dead arm is the supraspinatus, which is the muscle of the rotator cuff that sits at the top of the shoulder supraspine, meaning above the spine of the scapula. And its job, its only job, is when your arm is down at your side and you raise it up to shoulder height, that's what that muscle does. And it does that in the first 15 to 20 to 25 degrees of that motion, it would be like the beginning of a jumping jack. That's the plane of motion it works in. And that's the only thing this muscle does. That's why it's so important to be healthy because that's, of course, the same path the arms take to get the arms ready into the early cocking position. In the first 15 to 20 degrees of that, that muscle is really attached to the humeral head. And it's actually doing a job of keeping the head of the arm bone in a position so the other muscles can work. And the, it works along with the middle deltoid, which anybody who trains in a gym, that's the muscle when you do side raises, which is like a jumping jack exercise. That's the muscle that's working. So we've got the rotator cuff muscle working with the shoulder muscle. But in the first 15 to 20 degrees, that supraspinatus is extremely active. And what it's doing is positioning the bone correctly so the big muscles over it can work. So you take away the strength of that muscle at the beginning of the motion, the deltoid can't really generate enough force to move the arm up. So it's like you're going through this like dead phase and then once it clears, then the muscle on the shoulder can actually kick in. So thus the terminology, my arm feels dead. 
Now, depending on how dead it is, it maybe can get up there, but it can't get up all the way. It maybe does the full range, but it does it in a very, it feels funny to the pitcher. And he's confused because it may not at this stage of the game be hurting. It's why early detection of this is so important. So dead arm involves the supraspinatus. It involves the movement of the arms as portrayed in a jumping jack, only the pitcher stops at his shoulder height. And the interesting thing about that muscle that you, I had, I did tons of research on it because of the products that I have that involve this muscle, knowing this muscle. One of the things it also does, and it does this for a pitcher, when his arm is at shoulder height, and then he goes into what we know is external rotation, where he's moving the ball behind him to get ready to accelerate, the, that muscle actually works in external rotation. That's why when a pitcher has this problem, it really messes up a lot of parts of the motion. So, and by the way, it is, um, it's the most torn muscle in football quarterbacks. It's also one of the most injured rotator cuff muscles for a pitcher. So it's important that you keep this healthy. So a few things, coaches and, and pitchers to notice. So first of all, you don't want to fatigue this muscle unnecessarily if you are a pitcher. And for those of you who own my product, uh, my warm-up uh, program, if you go to page three and page six in the book that comes with the DVD, you're going to see this explanation I'm going to give you. So in pitching and in camps, I see pitch coaches. This is a traditional movement that you give pitchers. Put your arms up at the side as if you were doing a jumping jack and you arrived at shoulder height. So they're holding their arms out at the side. And they have them do little arm circles for a minute or two minutes, backward, forward. That is fatiguing the supraspinatus and it's fatiguing the deltoid. Now, the, the spirit of that movement is fantastic. What the coaches, what you're wanting to have happen is let's bring blood into that joint. Excellent. But you never can have something be a benefit if at the same time there's something that's canceling it out. So, for example, um, in my warm-up program, they bend the arms. The arms are completely bent. The elbows are pointing to the ground. Their hands are next to the shoulder. And they're doing arm circles that way because the arm is not straight out to the side. The arm is not fatiguing. The supraspinatus is not fatiguing. And the deltoid is not fatiguing. This is probably one of the most major ways a pitcher can mess up his shoulder before he even starts throwing. So that's number one to avoid. Number two, coaches, when you're watching your pitchers and pitchers, when you feel your arm dropping low, which is one of the first signs of fatigue, what happens is there's two messages you're getting. One is you're getting fatigued, and the first sign of a fatigued pitcher is the arm drops too low and it's because we know when we measure the strength of those muscles when a pitcher comes off the field and they do this in a lab those muscles are pretty wasted so the muscle is not able to handle how many pitches you've gone now you may not be tired and you may have the mind in the game in your head to see still pitch but if that shoulder starts dropping, and if this is a pattern of yours, and coaches, if you know you have pitchers that have this pattern, yet they still kind of look good, but you can see they're starting to go bad, number one on that day, pull them out of the game. Second thing you do with them, you just don't pull them out of the game because they're tired. You recognize that this is a pitcher who's probably developed in every area but this and you send them to the strength coach and say, get this guy's shoulder abductor stronger. That's what they're called, the middle deltoid and the supraspinatus. And every pitcher should be at, excuse me, on a strength program for those muscles. Because if the arm drops and you keep pitching, because of that component I mentioned, that the supraspinatus works in external rotation, 
you're trying to use that muscle at an angle that the rotator cuff does not like, and it ends up shredding that muscle under the bone, and you end up with supraspinatus impingement, which we all know is not a good thing. So, coaches, when you have a pitcher whose arm drops low, or let's say these are just his mechanics, he needs a stronger set of muscles. And also, if you have, especially in the youth pitchers, pitchers who when they come out of the glove, they go too high, that muscle is not designed to go above the shoulder when the palm is in a certain position. That can aggravate and give impingement as well. So make sure when you're looking at your pitchers that you don't see that upper arm going all over the place, too low, too high, and that's a way that you actually can start to recognize this problem. Now, if they do get this problem, the first day they get it, you send them to a good strength coach or a, send them to the athletic trainer and say, this guy needs some, they're called pendulum exercises. There's some rehab movements. This is a, a problem that's been around a long time. So there's a certain protocol for fixing it. And boy, you can get, you can get that thing fixed right away. Bending over with your arms straight and doing circles and pendulums back and forth start to bring life back into that muscle. So my pitchers that have that problem, this is a tool I give them in case it starts to re get aggravated again. But coaches, please pay coach's attention to this. And when you hear a pitcher use the word dead or pitchers, if your arm feels dead, don't let it go on for the, the moment it talks to you, get on it and, and avoid a future problem. Wow. That's uh that's really good information, Angel. I, you know, <clears throat> I, I know a lot of pitchers deal with this issue and a lot of different reasons it happens. Now for Felix Hernandez, it, is, is this the kind of thing where he's going to be out for like months or weeks or the whole well, season? Well, here's the problem when I was reading. First of all, and this is related and they're not talking about this. So he had a groin injury a few weeks ago. Right. So when you have a groin injury, your lower body's not going to work right. And if you remember from last week, I was talking about when, you're, when your lower body isn't working right, your arm comes through in a different angle. And, I mean, you just can't help it. So, uh, so the reason I'm bringing that up is it's an indirect connection, but it may speak to the time that he's been aggravating this. Okay. So it's possible that this has been around for a few weeks. And here's the telling thing. And coaches, when you read and you look at your pictures and you're trying to gather information, this is the kind of information I do when I'm doing what's called a forensic analysis, which is what I do every time I'm given. You know, when we do this show, Joe tells me, look at this guy. And I have to go connect dots. Here is a good picture. And in the report I read this morning, I can't remember the stats, but they were saying, wow, he's been really bad. In his last 18 innings, he went this and that and this and that. And they were, and listen, if a good pitcher goes bad, something's going on. You want to always say, it's not him going bad. Something's going on that he's not talking about. And we know, we have to assume that you're getting 50% of the story when you ask a pitcher how he's doing. If so that. You, if that. So you have to start connecting dots and be a detective. So one, he has a groin injury. Please know the lower body controls everything. Two, all of a sudden, he's not pitching real well. Maybe his arm's starting to get low. Let's say you saw those three things. You, you talk to him and you get on top of this, this dead arm could be avoided. So in terms of the prognosis, unless I knew how long it was around and actually how long he's been pitching through it, but I can tell you this, if he's had great stats and then all of a sudden he's had in the last 18 innings this real poor performance, he's been pitching with an injured arm and shredding and inflaming that muscle is a nightmare. Uh, fortunately, with the right protocol, you can get better, but whatever he was doing 
and you have to make sure your mechanics are perfect. And I don't know much about his mechanics, but um, it, 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 this could go really, this is, could not go well, or it could go really well. It, can, it depends on what intervention he uses and exactly what is really going on. Okay. I, th I think it would be a good idea for coaches and pitchers in particular to go back and listen to how you were explaining the dead arm, like how it feels and, and what it's doing, because I feel like I hear the term dead arm a lot, especially in spring training. And then the next sentence I see is, or hear, is that the pitchers just needs to pitch through it. He just needs to pitch through this dead arm phase. And from what you're saying, that is definitely not the thing that you want to, you do not want to pitch through a dead arm phase. No. And, and you know, something I want to say, and I, I recommend that everybody Google supraspinatus, S-U-P-R-A-S-P-I-N-A-T-U-S. So you can see the structure of it. It runs along the top of the shoulder and then it goes underneath a little bone and then it comes down onto the side of your arm. That space between the muscle and the bone is so small that if it gets even a little inflamed, it starts hitting the bone. The other thing about the supraspinatus that I know, because I read a lot of work on surgery, et cetera, of this muscle, is they, it's not a very vascular place, meaning it doesn't have a lot of uh, blood flow. So that's why exercises to improve it are so important to heal it because you've got to bring blood to an area that really needs it. And, and because the blood supply is limited, you have to, you know, you have to increase the volume. So the exercises have high reps, etc. But if you pitch through it and that thing is, it gets inflamed instantly. The minute it hits that bone, now you've got a truck trying to fit through a tunnel that it, you know, it didn't pay attention to the height requirements and it's stuck. And that's exactly what happens to the supraspinatus. So you cannot pitch through it. It just gets more aggravated and it needs immediate intervention. And I'll tell you, the immediate intervention exercises, which are simple, like I said, I give them to my pitchers and they do them, they're doing them all the time in the dugout. They really work because uh, unless you start to shred it. Now, if you tear that muscle, and of course, if it's hitting a bone, it can tear, right? It not only causes injury there, but the biceps tendon will get involved. And because that muscle holds the bone of the uh, uh, humerus in place, every other muscle that's attaching to the humerus starts to get out of whack. And guess what you have now? You have rotator cuff tendonitis in the back. You have, there's four muscles of the rotator cuff. They all work together. If one isn't working, the rest take a beating. So then you end up with a big mess on your hands, which think of how simple it would have been if the second you feel your arm is quote unquote dead, you pick up the phone and you call someone and say, what do I do right now? And guess what? In three days, you're back to throwing. And so, um, and getting the inflammation down is always critical on this kind of a, an injury. So please, coaches and pitchers, let's be on alert this season. And you're right, Joe, you hear it in spring training continuously and it's because that muscle is not strong enough again I don't know what pitchers are doing in the off season but my pitchers this is a this is the first muscle they attack consistently and by the way my pitchers exercise it during the season as well because the exercise restores the blood flow which restores the healing so this is like a tire You've got to get new tires if you're slamming on the brakes all the time. So, so don't be afraid, strength coaches and pitchers and coaches, to make sure that the muscles that are taking a beating, if they're not handling the pitcher's velocity, they're the weak link. And so all you have to do is bring up the level of that weak link. The minute you recognize what's wrong with a good pitcher, fix it. What it means is he's so good, this other part didn't progress with him. And that's how you want to look at it. You want to jump on it. And then by then throughout the season, he's getting better. Okay. So the exercises that you're talking about, you can find them in the, are those in the first pitch strike warm up and recovery program? 
Well, my work, my program really actually, and actually this is in a book for the people who own it. The reason why this, mus this muscle is indirectly used in my warm up, because again, I don't want to use it too much, but there are exercises that I see people doing. One is called the 90-90 uh, external rotation exercise where people hold their arm up at shoulder height and they start doing internal and external rotation. And there's actually a, a thing in my book on that you cannot do that if the arm isn't resting on something. And it's the most incorrect movement. And in fact, there's warm-up programs for pitchers I see where they take the band and they get into this position and they do internal and external rotation. Well, guess what? While you think you're warming up the rotator cuff, no, you're, you're, stre you're stressing the deltoid and the supraspinatus just like you would if your arm was out straight. And I see this done in the gym with dumbbells. It's the most incorrect thing to do and in my book I mentioned the reason why it's not included as a warm-up is because a pitcher doesn't have a way to support that arm in the gym you find a machine you put your arm on it you rest it and then you do the movement but because they don't have this availability we warm it up with the arm at its sides so it's not a direct um, exercise program for it but what my that program does is it warms up everything and uses it as it gets used in pitching and doesn't directly fatigue it so I was very sensitive to that when I, um, I did the program but um, yeah and so anybody who needs any more information they can contact me and I'm happy to fill you in and send you in the right direction thanks angel I you know I see a lot of pitchers now are using the the, the tubing devices uh before games and during the games and all that and it's really important that the pitchers know what they're doing and how to do the exercises and um you know we're going to put in the show notes the um links to your warm-up and recovery book and so that okay. people can can get the uh the right exercises and know what they're okay. supposed to be doing yeah it, what's really important with this muscle is it's more important to know what not to do what not to do because there's exercises out there that actually aggravate it so be very careful when you choose uh, the movements you're going to do before you pitch so okay awesome all right well that covers uh king felix and dead arm explained now um let's move on to the getting it done with science segment of our show and this week we have a an email from one of our listeners it's coach steve harrow from Windsor High School out in California. And I understand that he has a question for you, Angel. Yes, he does, and I'll read it exactly. And coaches, please send in your um, please send in your questions. And, and if you want your name mentioned in the school and everything in a program that we can promote, we're happy to do that. But anyway, so Steve writes this, and I love this question because it, it lends itself to a, a very big concept. So here's his question. He says, all pitching coaches like to have their pitchers throw a pen before a start. But from a muscle and movement point of view, how many days before a start is ideal? Or put another way, what is the worst case scenario? Please discuss pitch count two for these pen days. Obviously, it will vary by pitcher and perhaps where we are in the season. Example, late versus early kind of general but i have worked with and for a few different head coaches each seem to have a certain amount of days they like the starter to throw before a game i can't that's the question i can't tell you how i love this question steve and i know all of you out there are the many coaches are going yeah i do wonder about that and i love this question because if you have a system in place and if you have and prescribe to a certain philosophy about pitchers and pitching, you will never even ask this question because the question answers itself once you are following a system. So let me give you a few concepts. And by the way, I'm giving you the concepts that I have used for the last 22 years with my pitchers. They all follow it. Most of those kids I've worked with since they were eight, they're still pitching. They still follow it. And it's the way that you never get caught where you're exposing a pitcher to a dangerous bullpen, to the wrong pitch count, 
or to not being ready for a game. And so it's beautiful because there's an insurance policy built into this. So the first philosophy that you have to believe in in order to even buy into what I'm saying is that pitchers have to pitch. The second philosophy is pitchers cannot only pitch in a game. They are human beings. They need to practice their skill without a hitter standing there. It's why they need bullpens in between the games. Third concept you have to believe in. The bullpen isn't just for him to work on the pitches. Bullpens are to continue the conditioning of the arm and allow the pitcher time to work on his skill and his mechanics, which if he's a good pitcher, he's always working on that. He's working on that, including working on his release point and his specific pitches. The fourth concept and the last one is you have to honor recovery guidelines. And if you honor recovery guidelines, and I use the USA Baseball recovery guidelines that came out in the, in I think they're from 2000, and they're on my website. And by the way, USA Baseball has just redone them. And they've redone them in a way where they've extended some and changed some things. My guys, I would never change it on them because they've been using it, you know, for more than, you know, 10 years. But um, I use the USA Baseball Recovery Guidelines, which you can go on my website, get them, download them for free. And they're perfect. And they're for all the age groups. So if you are following all those concepts, here is how a pitcher's life looks. First of all, let's start with game day. So he's a high school pitcher. He's playing in a game. You're counting the pitches that he's throwing in the game facing a hitter. He comes out of the game and he's got a 79 pitch count. So coaches, make sure someone's keeping exact pitch counts of the game pitches. That pitcher if he's 16, 17, and he's at 79, he is just on the edge and on the last pitch count available for a three-day recovery. The game is on Saturday. He pitches every Saturday. So what do you do? Following all the philosophies that I just mentioned, so he pitched. He follows the recovery guideline, and on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, he's resting. Now, on Wednesday, he has to pitch again. And, you know, I think I should throw this in as a sixth concept that you have to believe in. I am, my background is as a strength coach and Olympic weightlifting coach. From sports training and from knowing how muscles change and build, etc., what everyone knows who works out is if you wait too long to do your skill, the strength you got from it diminishes. So following that kind of guideline, if somebody trains biceps, they give it two days recovery, they train them again. If they wait a week, their biceps are weaker than they were the week before. So following that guideline, the minute that pitcher's recovery is over, he needs to pitch because the recovery guidelines are based on healing of the tissue. They're based on what we know about enzymes returning to normal. So the recovery guideline means, hey, guess what? On Wednesday, his muscle has recovered. It has rebuilt itself and maybe even strengthened because, hey, he was out there throwing 93 miles an hour. So he's strengthening and training all those fibers. So the next day when he's ready, you pick it up again. Now, so he's going to throw on Wednesday. So as Steve asked, well, how many does he throw? Well, he's a starter, and he's got to throw as many as he can. But you reverse engineer it from when he's pitching again. So if it's Saturday, that's his game day, and now he's pitching on Wednesday, he's got a two-day recovery pitch count. So there's the answer. He throws 59. Let's say you're having no game on Saturday but you want him to throw in an inner squad on Friday. It's an off weekend. He throws 39 pitches because he only has one day. So you're always reverse engineering from 
to determine the pitch count, reverse engineer from his next required appearance on the mound, whether it be inner squad or he has to do a bullpen because the scout's coming out or he's pitching in a game, reverse engineer to the day it is, and that tells you how many recovery days he has. And if you're forward engineering from the game, you take his pitch count, how many pitches was it, how many pitch count, pitches days does he need off, and now you've got the perfect recipe. So when you follow that system, there will be no question of how soon before a start should a pitcher throw. I think what the question really should, what this question really says is pit, coaches want their pitcher's arms in shape. Well, guess what? If you're following the correct guidelines and he's throwing the maximum pitches he's allowed uh, to get to the game, then his arm's in shape because you want it recovered and fresh. And believe me, I'm not, this is coming from, I mean, this is science. It's the, the spirit in which recovery guidelines are made. And the, the deal about pitchers is getting the recovery for the pitch count, not controlling how much they're pitching. Pull them out when they don't look good. Whatever pitch count you pull them out at, that's their pitch count. Assuming that that's good, you give them those days off. But you don't violate the rules. And you follow that simple concept. And guess what? You never have to scratch your head. And you teach the pitchers. My pitchers know exactly when they need to bullpen. They know exactly when they need to bullpen because they know exactly when they're pitching. And they know exactly how many pitches they threw. So the day they're going to pen in between is not their decision. It's based on their recovery. And how many they're going to throw, uh, throw is not their decision. It's based on when they're pitching next. So you see, Joe, every one of those questions, which can be very um, how can I say, complicated for a coach to figure out. They're not complicated at all when you just follow pitch count recovery guidelines and you you know that the pitcher, he can't, should not, in, in unusual circumstances, a pitcher might take an extra day off and that might be if he throws, you know, 100 pitches and be four days off. But let's say in that circumstance, he wants to take an extra day off. Well, he takes it. But basically, they really do need to throw as soon as they recover. Well, thanks, Angela. I, I want to complicate things now. Okay. Um, based on your example of, of uh, pitching on Saturday and then resting until Wednesday again, and then pitching again the next Saturday, could a pitcher throw, say, 20 to 25 pitches on Wednesday and then throw again on Thursday and Friday leading up to his next start? Well, there's no reason to have a pitcher throw two days in a row unless because of some tournament or something you find yourself in a bind. For example, uh, you because first of all, pitchers need to go. Remember one of the concepts I said you have to kind of prescribe, which is he needs to get his work in. 20, 25 pitches isn't really work. It's just, you know, kind of like getting loose. But you, what, but unless there's a reason, you never put a pitcher on a mound two days in a row unless you have to. And that two days in a row should not be competitive starts. So here's how I, I have had, in fact, I'm thinking of a specific pitcher who is a D1 pitcher right now who in high school, uh, you know, was very good, and he had it was they were on a rotation, but because of his pitch count, he would be recovered on his recover. He would be recovered and ready to throw a pen on Friday, but they had an unusual schedule, and he had to pitch on Saturday. So he'd say, "What do I do? I'm supposed to, this would be my pen day, but I'm pitching tomorrow." I'd say do you want the day off or do you want to uh, just pitch tomorrow? He says, I would feel weird not pitching to a no-hitter situation if I just went in the game tomorrow. And I said, then go and throw 15 to 20 pitches and then that's it. And he always would throw 15 to 19. I remember that specifically. And that's, he's in a non-competitive loosening up his arm and in terms of recovery guidelines the recovery guidelines actually say you can go to like 20 something but every time i've thrown that out to a pitcher they shake their head and they go no that's too many 
15 or 19, and then they go. And that only happens when you have this unusual, complicated situation. But you don't design it that way. Having pitchers do three pens in a row or two pens, uh, no, doesn't make any sense because their arm is either not recovered or it's not getting any benefit. Remember, these guys need value to their bullpens. The bullpens aren't them just getting out there and going through the motions. Thank you. Because I know, I know there are a lot of pitchers like the one that you're describing who, who just like to do a little tune-up. Just, just, it may be just a mental thing. They just like the idea of going through their motion, and even if it's only for 15 to 20 pitches before a game. I mean, so there, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's in a no-batter situation and a, and a, yeah. and a bullpen. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you follow the guidelines, and they see the, uh, the pitcher is being taken care of. He's not, let's say he does a, a pitch, a bullpen, he's got three days to recover. You don't have to say, geez, he hasn't pitched for three days. No, he went a pitch count that gave his arm such a great workout that he's in full recovery. And every day his arm is doing something. So he's ready mentally. And, and by the way, Joe, what's important, and to all the listeners, this is something you do throughout all the seasons. So when my guys get back to throwing in late November or December, they're playing catch and they start pitching. We're following these same guidelines. So they're learning how cool it is. You know, when they're throwing 25 pitches in the beginning of the season, they, they're going to take one day off and throw again. They're going to then up it to 39 or something. And then they're taking one day off and then they're taking two days off. They're getting two, three pens in, in a week. They themselves are adapting to the workload of certain pitch counts and trust me it works i mean it's it's not me making it up it's fit, fitting the numbers into and blending them with the requirements of a team of team play and it does work and it's the the spirit in which recovery guidelines are designed in pitch count guidelines well that's great i mean it, basically you don't have to think about it if you're a coach or a right. pitcher you just it's the, you've got the recovery guidelines and consider that uh, your cruise control. Just Exactly. It's not arbitrary coaches and pitchers. It's not when I, when, I, when I have a pitcher come to me and he's new and I say, when did you pitch last? Here's some warning signs I get. When I say, when did you pitch last? And he goes, mm, a week ago. And I go, that's a warning sign. He hasn't pitched in a week. I go, how many pitches did you throw? Mm, I don't know. Okay, if you don't know pitch count, then you don't know when you're supposed to throw again. And the time just gets away from you. And if you're not a pitcher on a schedule, believe me, you're never feeling really organized. My pitchers love this. They are insanely in love with it. All my pitchers every year, and I work with some great pitchers, they love the pitch count recovery method. They always know ahead of time when they're going to pen. And if they're confused at all about anything, they text me. But for a pitcher to have that kind of control and also a pitch pitching coach and a coach to not have to worry about it, it's fantastic. So beware of being arbitrary, beware of not knowing pitch counts, and beware of changing things up at the last second where you catch a pitcher in the middle of his recovery cycle. So coaches, this requires you to be organized. Know your rotation. And if you don't know it, err to the side. Like if my pitcher says, oh, we've got a two-day tournament, so I'll, and I'm pitching on Thursday. Uh, I'm doing my pen today, which is Thursday, and... Uh, but I'm, I'm told I'm not pitching on Sunday. I go, no, 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 no. It's a two-day tournament. You don't know what's going to happen. That starter could show up Saturday injured. I said, do 39 pitches just in case so your coach doesn't have to worry. That's exactly what I tell my younger pitchers who are on two-day tournaments. You know, the high school guys don't have to worry about that. But that's how you do it. Err on the side of making sure that the recovery is not interrupted. Thanks, Angel. Every single pitcher who's listening right now, going forward after you hear this episode, you should always know exactly how many pitches you threw and you should know what day it was so that when you go into the next situation where someone is asking you, and I, and I say this because a lot of pitchers play on more than one team, especially in the summertime, you, you have to be responsible for your pitch counts and your recovery. You can't, you can't let someone else do it for you. So you, you need to let the coach know what's going on and when you're ready to go. So, um, 
I th- I think that's it, Angel. I think I think we've crammed enough into this one episode. I, I think we're going over great. Over an, yeah, over an hour. <laughs> I hope everybody stayed with us. <laughs> well, you know what? Do it in two parts. We should have announced we should have announced that at the beginning, but who knew we were going to get this into it? Well, thank you for listening. I appreciate everyone yeah. who listens. Yes. Absolutely. Thanks everybody for listening in. I hope you learned a little bit. This is, you know, season four, episode three of Baseball Pitching the Fix. Uh, If you want to hear more about Angel, learn more about her and all the great things she's doing with pitchers, you can go to gymscience.com, G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. I'm also going to put this into the show notes. Uh, You're also going to be able to find the recovery guidelines from USA Baseball, uh, the shoulder exercises that Angel was talking about. Now, if you really did enjoy the show, I hope that you are subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher or however you listen to your podcasts. If you want to learn more about me, go to fixingpitchers.com. You can tweet me at fixingpitchers. If you have any questions, you can tweet them at me or you can email angel at angel at gymscience.com. And I think that's about it. Let's uh, wish everyone safe and effective performance on the pitching mat.